Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Gavin Esler. A few years ago, I was interviewing an American politician for BBC television and asked him why health outcomes in the United States were so poor. Specifically, I said that perinatal mortality rates in the US, that is, deaths of babies around the time of birth, were much worse statistically in the United States than in Cuba. The American politician was outraged and demanded to know where I got those supposed facts. They're on the CIA website, I told him. Now, two things struck me about this exchange. First, the world's richest country had very poor health outcomes for some people. And second, beyond this politician's patriotic pride, he didn't know about the situation. Well, in today's bunker, I'm joined by Dr. Steve Wolf, who's lead author of the Journal of American Medical Association's report on health outcomes in the United States. And to cut to the summary, it's bad and it's often getting worse for some people. Dr. Wolf, welcome to the bunker. Pleased to be here. Can we begin with the statistics? What what are you finding? Well, you're correct. Health statistics in the United States are not good, and they generally have been very poor compared to the performance in other high-income countries. This is actually not news. We've known about this for some years. This problem began long ago in the 1980s and has gotten progressively worse. But in the past decade, the problem has escalated and the gap between the United States and other countries has widened dramatically. And that was true before the COVID-19 pandemic. So why do you think this is? I mean, we've, I should say, and we get, can get onto it later, Britain has experienced something similar too. So it's not, you're not alone, but why is it happening in the US? Well, uh, it's a great question. There's uh, several ways of going about answering it. The easiest one is to look at which health problems seem to be responsible for the disparity in mortality rates and life expectancy. And that leads us to over 30 conditions. So you mentioned perinatal mortality. There are dozens of metrics in terms of the prevalence of diseases, the death rate from diseases, survival, longevity. And across all of those, we see that the United States is being outperformed by other countries. I chaired a National Research Council committee uh, that issued a report back in 2013 called Shorter Lives, Poorer Health. It was a 400-plus page report that looked in depth at why it is that the U.S. is doing worse than other countries. And when we saw this sweeping effect on multiple diseases and even injuries, car accidents and what have you, it became clear that there must be a systemic cause for the problem. 
that is affecting multiple health conditions. It would be easy, for example, to blame this on a single cause, such as the obesity epidemic, the opioid epidemic, guns. These are all big problems in the United States, but neither one by itself fully explains the systemic pattern of uh, poorly performing against other high-income countries. Could I ask, and we can delve into the statistics a bit further, but is there something related to gender or race, or should I say class? In other words, is it more poor people statistically who are at risk? Another great question. We have big health disparities in this country. So people of color, such as uh, Black and indigenous populations, have much worse health outcomes, much shorter life expectancy, considerably poorer health outcomes. And there has been a tendency for some people, especially defensive politicians of the sort that you mentioned, to say, well, that's that's all you're seeing here. The poor performance of the United States has to do with these uh, bad health disparities. And you're comparing a very diverse country with countries like Japan and Norway, which have a more homogeneous population. But what studies have shown is that even the so-called advantaged populations in the United States, such as rich Americans, die earlier than rich people in your country, in the UK, across multiple categories of advantage, having health insurance, being a non-smoker, being white, all of these populations have been doing worse than in other countries, not as badly as the marginalized populations of the United States, but still worse than in other wealthy nations. That is ex quite extraordinary by itself. So are we saying then there's no one single factor? So there's not one that you can't say it's, you know, more pollution, it is diet, it's obesity. You can't say it's any of those. It may be all of those, but there may be some something else, including perhaps the healthcare system itself. And again, in Britain, we have a lot of problems with our own healthcare system. So is that a factor? Who can get treatment, I suppose, and how easy it is and whether they can afford it? Yes. Uh, you know, one way of organizing this discussion is our committee's approach, which was to look at the five buckets, if you will, of factors that affect our health. And these domains apply to most countries, uh, yours as well. One of those you mentioned is the healthcare system. The second is health behaviors, uh, whether people smoke cigarettes, uh, how much they exercise and so forth. Relevant in this country, those behaviors include owning guns and using drugs. So that's the second bucket. The third bucket is social and economic factors, things like poverty, lack of education, income inequality. The fourth is the environment, both the physical and social environment that affect our health. You mentioned air pollution, but also the social environment, things like discrimination, social isolation, racism. And then finally, public policies and social values, which in a way affect all the other buckets, uh, especially in the United States. Our committee devoted a chapter to each of those five domains and systematically looked through the data for each category to see, is there some difference between the United States and other countries in this category? And what we found is that in every one of those, there is evidence of a systemic problem in the United States compared to other countries. Well, I was going to say that is very interesting. It's incredibly worrying as well, isn't it? Because you're, what you're saying is the American way of life is killing people in a way that the way of life in other places isn't killing people. And it, you can take it everywhere from gun control to class to all the buckets that you mentioned. 
Yes. And, you know, so that the problem doesn't seem quite so overwhelming. That last category that I mentioned, public policies, I think has a lot to do with it. Our approach to governance in the United States and the kinds of American values that are applied to public policies and regulations end up spilling over and affecting those other categories. And I think it's clear that other countries have found a way to uh, maintain the health of their population. In a recent study that uh, we completed, we found that over 60 countries had outperformed the United States on life expectancy, but about 17 of them have outperformed the United States consistently for 50 years. You know, those countries clearly have figured something out. There is a way to approach public policy in a way that protects the health of the population. And the United States has, for a variety of reasons, not chosen to do that. That is very interesting because I saw you were quoted in the press as saying, this is the first time in my career that I've ever seen such an increase in pediatric mortality. It's always been declining in the United States for as long as I can remember. Now it's increasing at a magnitude that has not occurred at least for half a century. So is there something that's happened more recently that could account for this? Yeah, a bit of context on that is that the problem with US life expectancy that's been getting worse over the past decade has been attributed to an increase in death rates among young and middle-aged adults, so people 25 to 64 years. And uh, this has been very alarming, but the good news we would often state when we talked about this crisis is that at least in the pediatric population, the youngest Americans, things are headed in the right direction. And that was true until 2020. After 2020, we started seeing an increase in death rates in children, ages one to 19. And what that basically means is we in the field call it all-cause mortality, uh, death from any cause. The fact that that number has increased means that American children are less likely to reach age 20 than they were just a few years ago. I'm slightly stunned by that, to be quite honest. I mean, the, the obvious question is, is why? And why has this, uh, why has this happened recently? Was that true? It can't have been true that America was always underperforming compared to other countries in the past, was it? I mean, you, you talked about some of those statistics, but in terms of whether your, your children are going to reach the age 20, that, I'm sure, is the most scary statistic of all. It steered me, and we got some media attention, as you mentioned, but we haven't seen parent groups, you know, an outcry from parent groups or any other kind of reassurance that uh, public policymakers are taking this on. I have been working in this field for many years now and thought that maybe a way to convince the public that there is a need for action would be to point out how this is affecting our young people. So when these data emerged, I thought, aha, this will finally convince the public to act, but we're still waiting. I confess I don't get that. I mean, is that because we all care about our children, no matter w which society, which country, which religion, whatever, what, we all care about our children. So you would think there would be an outcry, and you obviously did think that. Is this people going, well, you know, Barack Obama tried to reform healthcare in this country and it didn't go as far as some people wanted. So what the heck, we, we, we just are where we are. I mean, is, is it complacency or is it just a kind of defeatism? Well, I've thought a lot about this, and there are a number of potential explanations for it. One might be that people just don't know. So although there's been some media attention, this may not be as widely understood by the public or by politicians. And there may be people who 
have this ideology of American exceptionalism, that America is number one, we're the best at everything. And the very idea of some researcher or scientist saying that there is a problem with the U.S. performing against other countries just might uh, not sit well with people who are so devoted to that ideology. Another possibility is that people assume it's it's not their problem that these statistics are being caused by other groups. Uh, for example, when we released the study about pediatric mortality on social media, there were claims that this was due to gangs and things going on in uh, gritty neighborhoods that uh, people try to avoid. And the uh, there wasn't an acceptance that this was something that their own children were vulnerable to. There are other reasons for pushback that have a lot to do with the way policy is approached in the United States. There's tremendous polarization right now and policies that uh, have been very effective in other countries in promoting health are viewed by conservative politicians as socialism and there is a resistance to pursuing them. The business community, corporate interests have uh, profit motives that make them less interested in these ideas and uh, the status quo persists. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. On some of the more American-specific questions that you raised, that is clearly part of the mix, but I just wondered how far you assess they're part of this worsening of the situation. The gangs that you mentioned, some people say it's about gangs, it's other people's kids, it's not my kids, it's somebody else's. But you also mentioned drug abuse, car crashes, gun crime, and so on. Are those, they're not peculiarly American, but they always seem to be much worse in the United States, and presumably they do very often affect young, younger people. Younger people take more risks, to put it bluntly. That's certainly true. And, and several of these really are American phenomena. The civilian gun ownership problem is a good example of this. Most other developed nations have nothing on the scale of the death rate from firearms that we see in the United States. And guns have a lot to do with the rising pediatric mortality rate. But it's a good example of where the data and the horrifying events that people see on their 
television every day somehow don't sway public policymakers who are committed to this right in our constitution to bear arms. A uh, language, by the way, that was uh, written in the 1700s when there were muskets and uh, they were trying to ensure that they could arm the militia. And that is used as a reason to ban, to resist banning assault weapons, you know, the kind that are used in mass shootings. This seems totally irrational. When I visit uh, uh, my colleagues in the UK and Europe, uh, they're really puzzled by this behavior of the United States to continue to allow this to happen and not act really reflects the influence of ideology, politics, and uh, corporate influence in shaping decisions in the United States. We've talked, or you've talked about American exceptionalism, and in this specific example, it's exceptionally bad as opposed to being exceptionally good. I just wanted, I wanted to raise with you the Marmot inquiry in Britain. Sir Michael Marmot, as you know, very distinguished British scholar, and he looked into health outcomes in England between 1997 and 2010 and found they'd improved. But then he's more recently updated this report and looked at uh, health outcomes from 2010 to about 2020 and found they have not improved, they've got worse. Not quite as bad as, as your own, but it's, it's happening. So is there a pattern worldwide? Maybe you are still exceptional in this and not, a, not in a good way, but is there a pattern in developed countries where things have got a lot worse since what one could say, the financial crisis of 2008 and some of the difficulties we've been having? Well, when we step back and look at the performance across countries, it's the Anglo-Saxon countries that seem to be struggling the most with these health outcomes. And the UK and the United States in particular are a bit joined at the hip here in terms of some of the health trends. It's still much worse in the United States. As bad as it might seem in the UK, it's, it's worse here. But both countries seem to stand out from a number of countries, for example, in Northern Europe, that have consistently produced better health outcomes, uh, the Scandinavian countries, France, Germany, and so forth, but also increasingly uh, countries in Asia, like Japan, South Korea, and others that are way ahead in, in terms of their health outcomes compared to the United States. And one more point I'll make, which you made, is that it's not just wealthy nations that are doing better. Some developing countries, you mentioned Cuba, but there are others as well, are now inching past the UK and the United States in terms of their performance. That gets us into the difficult political area of what you would call, I mean, Americans would call socialized medicine. We call our National Health Service, which is many people within the NHS say it's underfunded. We've got health strikes. We've got difficulties in seeing a doctor. I just wonder whether under the American system, one of the reasons that some of this research has not cut through is people who are doing all right think they're doing all right, and they don't want to change the system because it suits them, because they can get health care, whereas a lot of other people can't get health care. And that was partly behind the opioid epidemic and some other things, some other peculiarly American problems. I think that's spot on. I think a lot of people want to maintain the status quo because they're doing all right, at least they think they are and uh, view this problem as someone else's concern. And there are, the healthcare industry in the United States is extremely wealthy. There are huge profits being made by the current system. So there is a lot of uh, resistance from special interest in thinking about an alternative. The National Health Service, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the struggles it's having, is really a model that I think has been 
very dramatic. And most countries have developed a, a universal healthcare system. We have something similar for our elderly population called the Medicare program, which provides uh, health coverage, government uh, guaranteed health coverage for seniors above the age of 65. And interestingly, it's outcomes in that age group that seem to have been doing the best and are more competitive with other high-income countries, whereas the younger Americans uh, are, are doing quite poorly. That is very interesting. And just, uh, uh, we could go on talking about this for a very long time, but I, I just wanted as a final thought, do you have any sense that this is going to cut through? I mean, obviously your president and uh, his potential rival, Donald Trump, have got other things on their mind right now, but I would have thought this is a huge issue for any politician. I mean, the health of our children, to go back to the start of our conversation, is the thing that's most uppermost in my mind and the mind of most parents. Yes, you would think. <laughs> I, uh, I'm in total agreement. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm a doctor. So by, by my profession, health is clearly a preeminent concern. And I would think that uh, the, the one's health and the health of one's children would be uh, at the top of the agenda for public policy. But polls of Americans show other priorities. Uh, they're more concerned about other issues. And so I'm, uh, I'm not optimistic that we're going to see systemic changes that would markedly improve the health of Americans. They are occurring at a local level, experimental work being done in communities and cities across the United States seem to be making a big difference. But a sweeping national change uh, will will take some time. Well, Steve, Dr. Wolf, you've made your diagnosis. I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope maybe we can update this in a year or two's time and actually see something a bit more positive about health outcomes. Thanks very much, Steve. Let's hope so. And thank you very much for your time. You're listening to The Bunker. I'm Gavin Esther. Goodbye. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell and me, Angela Barnes wherever you get your podcasts The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Gavin Esler The producer was Eliza Davis-Beard and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott The Bunker is a Podmasters production Thank you.